Hello and welcome to Politics on Draft with me, James Tabor. And me, Kartik Sawney. And today we're going to be serving you a pint of politics and putting it on the sticky table that is Britain. And uh, today, party manifestos. That's a bit of a sticky one as well. How are you, Kartik? I'm good. I'm I'm just surprised you describe Britain as a sticky table. Um but I'm well, how are you? Yes. Yeah, I I am well. I I was a bit ill over the weekend, so I'm actually quite glad I'm able to record. So for, for, for for listener information, we record on Mondays mainly. And um, I was fairly ill on the weekend. So just from being busy and feeling my body just telling me you need to just take a sit back, um, which is very important and we should all do sometimes. And, um, yeah, so I was very worried I wasn't going to end up doing this today, but uh, nonetheless, I've uh, I've persevered. I've gotten through it, and uh, yeah, I'm back for my favourite point of the week. So, um, I think the first thing we've got to to do is talk about what we're drinking. So, Kartik, what's what tipple have you gone for today? Well, I was going to drink a beer, which I bought on the way back home from uni, uh, but. I'd had quite a long day at uni and we've got some of this stored away. So I got a tiramisu Bailey's. I know it's very poncy and sort of white mum on Christmas, but um, we, we got it from Costco. Uh, my family loves shopping at Costco and it was cheap there. It was like 20, not even 20 quid. I think it was like 12 quid. So yeah, that's what I'm drinking today. It's a tiramisu Bailey's. What are you drinking? Yeah, you do. You do sound like a, a white mum on Christmas. Should we get the Baileys out? Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly what you say. Um, so I'm I'm drinking uh, Brewdog Hazy Jane uh, New England IPA. It's very nice. It's a great New England IPA, despite it being manufactured in Scotland. Um, and yeah, I really really like that. Um, I've gone for the double because you get those little cans, but they're futile to me. I drink one and I'm like, have I even drunk a beer? That just talks more about my uh, my relationship with alcohol than it does about um, anything else. But uh, (laughs) yeah, so uh, yeah, so I got that. Uh, Just also a little FYI, me and Kartik are actually seeing each other at uni as well now because we're both back at university, which means we can actually do a lot of like in-person collaborating so although yeah. we record in online we can do a lot more kind of sort of chatting and you know developing what we're going to talk about and stuff and yeah we've got a lot more flexibility as well so we and, should mon- have. and monday's a good day and monday's a good day to record as well because we have parliamentary studies together in the morning so um mm. it gets us in the right mood to record gets us in the jive in the jive and talking about changes and uh things happening with the podcast we've got a new structure oh, God. i don't know why you had to whisper <laughs> like that. But yes we do have a new structure um this week we're just going to trial it for this week and we'll see how everyone reacts to it we're not going to do current affairs then a main topic we're just gonna go deeply into particular events that have happened over the last couple of the last week um, and then expand upon them at length and explain to you what's actually going on these are significant events regarding british politics european politics international politics so everyone can have a better understanding of what's going on around them Mm. and i think that's good because I think what happens is is we then end up talking too much about the current affairs and then it's like, oh, shit, we've only got like 20 minutes to actually talk about our main topic, which is, you know, really difficult to do. And anybody who talks politics, you say, oh, I'm going to have a 30 minute conversation. You end up having an hour. So um, even longer. Yeah. So hopefully we can kind of uh, be a bit a bit more sort of, you know, although there isn't as much structure as we're doing this and this half and this and this half. It just should be a bit more flow better, I'd say. Yeah. And and one of the what well, our main topic this week is something that we briefly covered in the current affairs segment of last week. Uh James can talk about this till the cows come home. I think that's the phrase. It might not be. English isn't my first language. Anyway, uh the main well, our first topic this week is the fiscal statement that was made by Quasi Quateng uh last week. Now, 
Now, there's been a lot of reaction and James is going to take you through the economics of it and then I will react with some history lessons about the economics of it. After all, Kwasi Kwarteng is an economic historian um, and he does have a PhD, despite what you may think after uh, his most recent policy. Um, you wouldn't think yes. he at all. And, and he's also from Eton, which is, you know, based in history and, you know, other different things and isn't that a surprise uh, and and white powder so let's get on with um <laughs> let's get let's get on with uh the uh the the, the 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 mini the mini budget mini statement uh yeah i mean we kind of talked about it last week in terms of the the banker's bonus and that that was announced and as you know as as said like he has said that he's going to uh scrap that and he says it's going to reaffirm the uk's leading financial center um i've said what i said about that last week and to be honest what i said last week is kind of it sums up more holistically the entire mini budget so uh one of the big ones is that he is going to scrap the top 45 percent rate of income tax uh so that's on the hundred fifty thousand pounds so effectively someone who's earning hundred fifty thousand pounds pays the exact same amount of tax well the same rate of tax as someone who's earning 50 grand um which is ridiculous and funny enough i think i read an article somewhere that pretty much the entire of the tory cabinet actually benefit from that tax uh, cut so i mean you can make of that what you will um lots of other things have happened uh obviously yet yeah, the bankers bonus that's a that's a big one the business tax uh well the, actually the corporation tax should i say uh increase that was scheduled for next year to go from 19 to 25 percent will be cancelled uh, and he says that we will have the lowest rate of corporation tax in the G20. I want to spin that and say we'll have the lowest rate of corporation tax contributions in the G20 during a cost of living crisis. Um, stamp duty, that's the threshold has increased. So first time buyers will rise to 425, which I guess is, you know, ultimately not a bad thing it puts people onto the ladder but i guess it kind of it doesn't enforce a kind of sort of meritocratic be, be it that in order to have a home you kind of have to save up a lot of money so it doesn't do well to kind of i guess try and get people onto the housing ladder um which yeah but i, I suppose that's a bit of a contentious one and so you can find the merits and the failures within that for some reason he included strike legislation into it even though it's a it's supposedly supposed to be a fiscal statement um it, you know the chancellor says that the government is going to legislate to tackle militant trade unions I, I don't know this isn't really his jurisdiction so i don't really know why he talked about it but yeah uh and that pretty much uh, that pretty much sums it up he talked about uh you know uh growth and you know expanding the supply side of the economy through tax cuts uh, seems a bit uh, contradictory, considering that his government also, uh, you know, got rid of the fast stream in the public sector, which effectively do it doesn't ensure thirty-year long-term growth trend. But this is this is it. They're they're wanting short-term growth instead of long-term prosperity. So that's uh, that's one of the issues. So Kartik, you, you've listened to all that. You've listened to my kind of recap of it all what are your thoughts well i had a couple of questions to ask you i've written mm. them down on a post-it note in front of me um you discussed the income tax uh 45 to 40 percent uh number one who does it disproportionately uh impact or not impact so you also covered stamp duty uh what i want to also uh, understand from you is who will that impact more from my understanding uh this will benefit largely people who are buying their second homes their third homes or buy to let homes and i know that we are currently going through a housing crisis so what impact will that have on the housing crisis uh what i will what i do know quite a bit about is the strike legislation side of things so that was a manifesto promise uh, in the Conservative Party 2019 manifesto to ban strikes on essential public services. Now, I agree with you. I have no idea why the hell he covered that in a fiscal statement. But after he did cover it in a fiscal statement, he he refused to answer questions about it on Laura Koonsberg saying, Suella Braverman will be making a statement uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So income tax stamp duty, 
what do you think about those two and who will they invest? Yeah. So, it, so basically, income income tax. So, anyone earning over a hundred, there was a metric that actually was basically claimed. So, I think it was. Is it the million pound people who had well, million pounds? Yeah, so like that was something that was something that Starmer actually brought up in an interview that we're going to talk about later, where he basically said that if you're earning a million pounds, you're going to get an extra fifty five thousand pounds in your pocket. We could talk about the politics of that. We could talk about the the kind of the efficacy and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, so it's going to proportionately benefit those who are earning you know a lot a lot of money so over one hundred fifty thousand pounds and these are the sort of people who ultimately aren't even you know worried about or don't need to really worry about the cost of living crisis at the moment because they've got themselves enough money to get through this winter um so mm. and and that and it, language is very is very key because you know ultimately the government at the moment aren't saying, oh, yeah, we're introducing these tax cuts to help people because the simple fact is they're not helping people. And if they were on operating under the ruse that this tax cut is going to help people directly, then they'd get slammed for it. And, you know, it would be those sort of claims that come creeping back to them in a in a uh, general election, which is something we're also going to talk about with regards to this week's Labour um party conference um so yeah so that's going to benefit people who are already well off and probably don't really need to have this tax cut but again it's this whole trickle down policy of you know if you put money in the hands of those who are you know better off that they'll likely buy more things and that all it's, it's an elitist theory of conservatism which just simply mm. in my opinion doesn't work because it's it works on the precedent of a gamble and the idea that it's discretionary. People don't have to use that money to buy more stuff at the shop or go to little, you know, business, local businesses or whatever. It, it's it's simply they could just go and invest that and put it into a either a bond or a, or a savings account or an ISA or something like that, and that's yeah. not going to go to anybody. So that's my that's well, why they wouldn't be they wouldn't be smart to put it into a gilt right now by the way guilt is a is a type of government backed bond it's mm. called the guilt because it used to be lined with gold it's not anymore yeah. but you know guilt sales have people who own guilt have sold them uh significantly and the pound has dropped yeah. today it dropped to about 1.05 of the it's, dollar it's an all time low up to 1.08 yeah it's at a 37 year low so the reaction yeah. to it the market reaction to this fiscal statement has been terrible do you agree with what i said about the stamp duty about who it will benefit yeah i mean so there's two things here that i think is important to, to outline so the no stamp duty pay on the first 125 to 250 obviously that's going to benefit you know already high property portfolio owners and um they're going to be you know buying more properties potentially if they've got the money to afford that and yeah and so there is an argument to say that ultimately in a cost of living crisis you know is this really necessary and of course given the fact that there's the whole 400 pound uh to every single household or wh whatever that thing that rishi sunak introduced assuming i think that's still going ahead that's obviously going to benefit people if they've got like six houses um mm -hmm. and of course the landlord could take every single one of them so that's something that i, I brought up the first time buyers because first time buyers their threshold will be raised from 300 to 425 which you know say for instance you've got a a, a family who just starting to get on the housing ladder they'll say i'll hypothetically say they've just had a child or something like that and they're trying to get away from the i don't know the lack of certainty with a rented uh private rental agreement or something like that. I, that 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 could do that could do a lot of good but ultimately it goes back to this statement of it's not really helping those who really need it because you know if you if you if you're able to buy a home then you probably are going to be okay regardless in this yeah. but i mean what i'm saying is a massive over like it's a it, it's a bit simple of me to say because there are some people who you know might be having quite difficulties with their mortgages at the moment for example i'm not going to go back on that train but uh, but mm -hmm. yeah so it's a bit simple to me to say but it's a massive generalization but yeah it's it's interesting because yes you're right it will benefit first-time buyers but i also think it's going to disproportionately benefit 
people who are going to buy the, se- the second, third or buy to let home. The reason why I think that is because the people that can currently afford straight away to buy, uh, to afford a deposit on a house, 125,000 to 250,000 pounds, are the people who are earning a million pounds and have just been given 55,000 pounds in tax cuts. They're the people that have just got that. And so the housing market is eventually going to get more, the supply of the housing market is eventually going to get lower and lower and lower as people tend to hoard homes, which is already happening. Mm. So I, I still think it's going to disproportionately impact people who, I th- I think who there's, want to buy a home. I think there's an idea. I think, like I think there's an ideological issue here because obviously it comes back to the idea of, you know, property and capital and stuff like that. And, you know, that, that there'd be some people on maybe the hard left who would say, even say that having more than one property shouldn't even really be a thing. And uh, that, that, you know, I think right now in the current situation, it's not the time to be prioritising people being able to maybe buy their second property or third property and add to their portfolio. I'm not suggesting that, you know, know, yeah, now's not the right time. We could do it in a time when the economy is prospering and, you know, the basic things such as people having a home that they can go back to that's warm and having food. Maybe we could start talking about measures that could, you know, potentially, you know, try and expand the housing uh, sector or whatever, or, you know, try and encourage a, a kind of personal growth. But it's not the time because there's a bigger issue right now. And that's the simple fact that people are going to struggle to. Uh, to yeah. Yeah, quasi quoting would just say to you, well, you know, we're we're giving this money to the rich, so eventually it'll trickle down to uh, someone poorer. It's like saying, you know, I've seen a homeless person in the street that I feel incredibly sorry for, so I've walked 10 minutes down the road, and I've seen a very, very affluent neighbourhood, so I put £10 down their their postal box, and suddenly Mm. that £10 is going to trickle down to that homeless man. It's just a load of shit. It's a load of shit. It doesn't, there's no evidence to back up there's no concrete evidence to back up that that would actually work. Sorry, that's just got me a bit angry. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. But I want to come on to more macroeconomic uh, understandings. Sure. Uh, so I've been doing some research to try to bring myself up to your economic understanding. I doubt I have, but this is this has been my research. So tax cuts like this generally lead to a short-term economic boost. Now, I know this is not being reflected in the current markets, but I feel like it will lead to a short-to-medium-term economic boost, after that leading to a long-term economic meltdown. Now, this short-term economic boost could likely carry trust through to the election and could be an interesting scene. However, how voters will react to this, I'm unsure, because most people vote on the basis of how much money is in their pocket and their economic feeling and the mood around the country. So basically, it's all relative, except the economics of it, because social services are at an unprecedented low. So how the voters will react to this, we don't know. But perhaps this is from my historical understanding, a better comparison would be with the 1980s, which is exactly what Trust wants us to think as well, when Ronald Reagan in America and Margaret Thatcher in Britain shifted the ideological argument. Uh, Reaganomics, which was built on big tax cuts and aimed at the richest, which would supposedly pay for themselves and never did. Um, And the Reagan era, sort of like the trust era, started uh, with high inflation and a central bank, the US Federal Reserve, determined to bring inflation, inflation down by raising interest rates, which is what the Bank of England has just done. They've raised it by, I think, 0.5%. Now, the economy in the 1980s went into recession, though it was out of it in time for Reagan to secure a second term in 1984, exactly what I said about the short-term economic boost. Now, under his presidency, budget budget deficits stayed high and government debt trebled in cash terms, which is exactly what Liz Truss is doing. Borrowing is at an unprecedented high. Now, Reagan later conceded that this was a disappointment. I'm not sure whether Liz Truss will ever concede. Anything she's ever done is a disappointment. Now, time will tell, but... History has already told us, and people unfortunately don't listen to historians, um, nor do uh, the Conservative Party. Of course, they don't listen to historians without say, 
whilst also saying that they love history and they love tradition. <laughs> but they knew exactly what they were doing with this mini budget, in my opinion. And they were trying to save themselves by winning an election. Releasing the cap on bankers' bonuses, in my opinion, was just the cherry on top of a catastrophic shit. And the difference, again, with Margaret Thatcher and Liz Truss is that when Thatcher cut the income tax down to 45%, she was cutting it from 83% mm. for the highest earners. Whatever you think, 83% is a very, very high tax on income uh, on, on high earners. Now, Truss is cutting it from 45% to 40%, and that's only affecting some 629,000 people. It's not significant or understandable in any way, shape, or form. The difference, with again, with Thatcher and Truss is that she was able to roll back the state by, through privatisation, but the pressure is now on the op opposite direction, with some formerly nas nationalised businesses being taken back into the uh, public ownership. We will discuss rail ownership uh, uh, pretty soon when we discuss what's going on at the Labour conference. And the only way the Chancellor and the Prime Minister are going to be able to reduce the size of the state is by taking an axe to public spending. And it's a long shot. Um, and I know she wants to be unpopular. I know she said she's OK to be unpopular, but it's a long shot. And this is, again, something we covered when we were in our first ever episode when we were saying that the Conservative Party is perpetually obsessed with Thatcherism, but you can't do Thatcherism again. Um, and this is something that was covered in the Times article. So, yeah, what, what do you think about everything I've said, you being the economic expert in the Discord chat, James? You really overstate my uh, my level of economic knowledge. Uh, I, I I feel like I'm I feel like I'm decent, but uh, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm loving this yes man mentality. I feel like I'm in a Johnson, I feel like I'm in a Boris Johnson cabinet right now. Um, yeah. So I, I've written. I actually wrote down pretty much what you said here, just because I kind of wanted to establish. Yeah. I mean, there is a big. There's a big argument for short term increase. Long term creates a long term uh decrease and there's also a there are some conceptions of economic growth which talk about these economic upturns and downturns and there's a big view that this kind of up and down macro performance is fairly consistent it's just when it dips into negative growth that we start to worry and i, I think at the moment we're just a little too close to that negative growth uh like doubt basically regression uh mm. to i think most people's liking because obviously you know i don't know two percent growth versus ten percent growth you're still growing just at different rates and that naturally happens when you go through things like disasters and stuff when i don't know there's an issue with a trade route that's been blocked for some whatever reason and that you can look at the kind of international dynamics of uh of Things like do you remember the Suez Canal uh, shut down, the obviously the war in Ukraine that's quite pivotal at the moment. It's just that they're having an effect and it's causing negative growth. Um, in my opinion, and this is just the opinion of one person because every economist will have a different perspective on this. I think right now, long term growth is something that actually needs to be prioritised so we can get mm. ourselves. Because let's be real. If we go by the model of downturn, upturn, downturn, upturn, upturn, we will go for an upturn again. Let's just, you know, when the Ukraine war settles, when, you know, new trade opportunities become established, just when people... I'm going to interrupt you here. What new trade opportunities? Well, that's something that we have to, that's something we have to see. You know, there's no, there's no telling how long a downturn could be. The new trade deal could come, say, with a Labour government. We just don't yeah. know that yet. No, so, the, point, the point I'm making is we're no longer a part of the European Union, which was there to save us during Thatcher's era. Hmm. We're no longer part of that free trade area. We, we have effectively imposed economic sanctions upon ourselves. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry but, to be blunt, but... Uh, yeah. But, okay, so let's... Let's go with the kind of assumption that at some point we will upturn. Mm. In my opinion, the only way that we can ensure that upturn is via long-term economic growth. So that's investing in better renewables. Uh, that is something like, you know, reinstating public sector grad schemes to ensure talent within both the public and private sector, creating a competitive public You really sector. want this. You really want the civil service. Oh, I do want the civil service. <laughs> <laughs> um, and these are these are the things that need to be done because, it, like you said, short term growth 
is good and it you know it creates a little bit of oh this is very nice but then all we'll do is then dip back down into mm. those negatives those negative groves which if i'm gonna ask you a, i'm gonna ask you a political question do you yeah. think this brief short-term economic growth could benefit trust come election time and i know it's inconceivable at the moment when labor is 20 points ahead in the polls but do you think it could benefit her and do you think she could this could propel her to a victory right now. And this is, this is the politi politics of it. And I'm, I'm quite keen to move on to the labor side. And I think this is my way of kind of looking at her and how, what her fiscal statement and Quasi's fiscal statement kind of means in terms of the pol political of it. I think people are starting to become s skeptical of the conservative plan. They're seeing a lot of conservative issues a lot of conservative infighting you know young Tories are now defecting we've got uh you know pensioners who live in those sort of Somerset Jacob Rees-Mogg regions saying in the next election they'll vote for the Lib Dems who I've said it I've said it before I'll say it again I think will be a formidable force in in the next election <laughs> it seems uh, laughable to me but please yeah um <laughs> you've got you've got you know, Theresa, uh, not Theresa May, Johnson's constituency saying that, you know, they wouldn't vote for him. Uh, you've got even you've even got, you know, some people in those tax brackets who are going to benefit from these uh, saying they would be happy to pay more tax. So that kind of tells you the situation right now. And I don't think a mini budget is going to be the thing that saves them. Mm -hmm. And obviously we're being, you know, <sighs> we're getting very ahead of ourselves there's still like a year to go there's still a lot of you know policy that's going to come out there's the manifestos that are going to come out which is obviously big there's the actual you know campaigning and what certain thing leaders say and what individuals say uh scandals within the uh within the campaigning that always arise it arises and is always a big part so i think it's too early to say but in my opinion i don't think this is going to massively cause a benefit for liz truss maybe i'm slightly biased on that because i don't think i want her to see uh, to see a benefit but i'm still going to hold out to for the actual campaign to start and the kind of year leading up to that where we can have a sort of we can reignite this sort of uh, conversation and see what happens fair enough for now we'll take a break and then we'll come back to discuss industrial relations and the labor party okay and we're back so we're going to be talking about industrial relations now now just for everyone's information this is i'm going to introduce this to try and hype uh kartik up because he's very into in, in industrial relations so uh, i'll introduce this and you'll you'll start hearing uh Carter get himself worked up so as a result of the cost of living crisis uh you know we're coming up to one of the most worst times arguably in history for british for industrial relations and uh this comes with the news that strike action is likely to wipe out most of the train services uh on the 1st of october 5th of october 8th of october um you know, stri strikes, and this is something that even start, uh, Keir Starmer said this weekend, you know, strikes are always the final resort for workers once negotiations uh, break down. And it's it's something that almost is quite sad to see that we kind of have to come to this position now. Whatever your views on, uh, whatever your views on strikes are, I think we can all agree that we wish strikes wouldn't happen. Um, mm -hmm. But who you place the blame on that is obviously uh, kind of, to the heart of the debate so uh kartik you've you've had a bit of experience with uh with sort of industrial uh relations and stuff do you want to kind of talk us through that sure so i to a very m minimal extent uh worked with staff and again to a much more minimal extent the ucu in communicating strike action and its impacts to our sh to students in our university at queen mary and so i was communicating why it's happening how it will impact you how you can help and um yeah so i can't comment uh if there are any students from queen mary listening uh whether the <laughs> ucu will strike again um i know that they're reballoting for a national uh strike i can't comment on whether that will go through or not but I can state that as a result of government policy to target trade unions and the right to strike for essential services, this is likely to enrage trade unions more. 
and make it less likely for companies to come to the negotiating table. That's just a fact. The government has taken a very, very hostile approach to trade unions, calling them, you know, these communist trade unions, etc., etc., etc. The right to strike is a fundamental strike in any democratic state. So it's not just railway workers on strike, professors, barristers, post workers, even nurses may strike, firefighters may strike. Industrial discontent is across the board. It's not a sudden resurgence. And it is a reaction to political shifts over five years. Brexit, a gamble for our economic security. Then this mini budget, which was much bigger than a mini budget that you would normally anticipate, were two massive gambles for our economic security. All the while, workers' rights are being stripped away. And These aren't I, coincidences. Can yes, I also quickly interrupt and also say, you said something about uh, the, the Tories kind of thinking of the, the UC, like uh, the uh, the unions as like these commie sort of organisations and stuff. It's quite funny because, um, you know, trade unions, it's been, it's been evidented that actually joining a trade union is most likely to kind of... You, there is a trend that people who are part of unions end up with better pay because you know in a sort of better sort of negotiating position with employers they get sort of told how to you know uh, interact with their employers and stuff and funny enough uh, I, I just thought back to what Rachel McLean said in a, a, a Tory minister at the time I don't know if she's a Tory minister now uh, she basically told people that they should get a better job to beat the cost of living crisis and if if according to the the evidence if getting a better job means being part of a trade union surely the tories might be for it but anyway i'm just being cynical go, go, go carry on that's that's the whole purpose of a trade union so that you can get a better deal mm. so that you can earn more money to deal with things like the cost of living crisis so all of these recent rises in strike action aren't coincidences this is real and workers should have the right to ask for more money when inflation is at 10% and might rise to 11%. All the while, business leaders make more money as a result, but also have to pay less tax. Mm. But you know what, if you're earning, if you're one of the people earning below £150,000, don't worry, I'm sure it will trickle down into your pocket at some point. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I, to be honest, I, I find their, the Tories' relation with, uh, with unions just baffling and to be honest it, it plays in part this kind of and you touched on it earlier of Thatcher nostalgia and the whole idea that oh yeah Thatcher was tough on the uh, tough on on the unions and stuff and funny enough it actually reminds me of a conversation I was uh, having with uh, someone who was sort of old enough to live through uh, Thatcherism and, and she was she was saying how to be honest she invited it because she her memory of unions were just you know the kind of the champagne socialism kind of rhetoric and that all unions were doing were just having fancy dinners and stuff and the, the union leaders this are not that and i mean i don't know if this is i don't know if this is part of the i don't know like a sort of thatcher dot indoctrination or what i don't know what you can put it down to but there's there always has been this like tense relationship with uh with unions but they've always been a very prominent in, and in my opinion a very beneficial uh system but it just seems that w whenever there's this kind of like economic turmoil like for instance you know you talked about thatcher and reaganism going through uh economic trouble going into their respective uh times in office it's all like oh yeah let's blame the unions for some reason or at least in the tory uh from the tory perspective yeah, um, the fact of the matter is, if the economy worked for most people, trade unions wouldn't exist. Mm. But the economy doesn't work for most people, therefore trade unions exist so that the economy can at least, to a very minimal extent, start working for most people. But I think we've discussed conservatism and their link with trade unions quite a bit. I want to discuss Keir Starmer and the Labour Party yes. and their link with trade yeah. unions. So... Keir Starmer's leadership and the Labour Party has been criticised for not allowing shadow cabinet members to go on the picket line. Sam Tarry, uh, a, a previous shadow junior transport minister, uh, was sacked for attending a picket line. I am also aware that he was going to get deselected de from his constituency Labour Party. Regardless, this was his final show of bravado as he made up 
Labour policy on the hoof, saying that um, wages should be in line with inflation, which is not currently Labour Party policy whatsoever. Um, James, what do you think about the Labour Party's perspective on trade unions and striking? Now, for for Starmer, I think it's really difficult, and I and I to be honest, I wouldn't want to be in his position because, you know. If he does one thing, he plays into the hands of the Tories, and then the other thing, you know, plays into the hands of his own, of his own supporters. I, to be honest, and this is this is my position on on it. I think he was. It might, and this is you know, it might come across, and we can disagree on this. I think ultimately he was right, but for the benefit of the party and trying to get back into government. Because to be honest, and and this, and I will happily say this, I want to see. Labour in government. I do want to see Labour in government. I think the time going to come back to that in a bit is now. Okay, and I think the issue is is that if he if he if he sides with having people in his uh, shadow cabinet and his and that that sort of like the the top senior levels of the Labour Party, if he has them going out on the picket line, he gets branded a communist, and then we start seeing this sort of. Um, you know the, the fall of uh, Jeremy Corbyn, like we the Jeremy Corbynification of Keir Starmer. Yeah, and and then he'll just play into the hands of the Tories, who will you know, say, "Oh, we can't trust uh, you, can't trust uh, Starmer because he, you know, he isn't." A bit, and frankly, doing what he did means that he won't get branded in the same light as uh, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour, um, which suffered, you know, one of the biggest defeats. Uh, for the Labour Party in a very long time, um, so it's a very diff. It's a very difficult one. I, th there was something I saw, and it was um, Angela Rayner said it in, in a statement recently. I think it might have been like over the last couple of twenty four hours or, or something or so. And she basically said that there's also a manifesto pledge to put union access, have allow workers to have greater union access, which I do mm. think is a good thing because what it means is it kind of gives a very diplomatic approach to. To unionism, and uh, and I think that that's that's important is the transparency. You know, there will be certain members of the Labour Party who think that trade unionism is brilliant. There will be some people who say that that isn't good, and that it kind of you know it distracts the the intentions of the party. And I think as long as you've got transparency, and as long as you've got a level of you know you can be for it, you can be for against it. But here's the access to it. In my mind, that's actually a really really good thing, and it's going to benefit a lot of people. I agree. I agree. I agree completely with what you said, even previously about Keir Starmer's in his tough position to say mm. you can go on, you can go on the picket line, or you can't go on the picket line. In terms of getting Labour into power, um, whilst there is largely support uh, for these strikes, I also agree that this most shadow cabinet ministers who want to look like a government in waiting probably shouldn't go on the picket line. I see that whilst also being massively in support of industrial action. And it's hard because Starmer would want to be there. I, I have no yeah. doubt in my mind Starmer would want to be there. You know, he did it during the, the poll, was, I think it was the poll tax when he was giving, you know, legal advice or something like that. It might, it might not be the poll yeah. tax. And, and, in, and in, his legal, in his legal career, he has been very, very left-wing. It's just a way that he has to frame himself. But talking about Labour, I want to discuss the conference. Now, there's big news coming <laughs> <laughs> There's big news coming out of the conference. The Labour conference has just voted proportional representation through the conference. Now, there's no guarantee that this is going to go on to the manifesto because the uh, NEC, the National Executive Committee, still needs to vote it through and, mm. and, and pop it on the manifesto. But it is a big moment because in 2021, they didn't vote it through. And... It shows you a shift in the Labour Party from because proportional representation fundamentally is not good for the Labour Party. If proportional representation comes in, it's very unlikely that we will ever see a majority Labour government unless there's a massive political shift, which is, again, unlikely in a short period of time. So it's bad for the party, but it's really, really good for the country that people have one vote means one vote. It doesn't mean... 1.5 or 0 0.5 it, mm. the disproportionality of votes that is currently there goes away so it's fundamentally good for the country just, and this is what i'm talking about that the labor party has shifted rather than thinking about itself it's finally and its internal conflict it's finally thinking about 
the country and it's thinking it's moving past its internal conflicts. What yeah. do you think about proportional well, representation? I'm going to give a little history, literally like a 30-second history of PR. So proportional representation is effectively trying to solve the issue that a constituency uh, MP can win with a minority of the vote. And effectively what you'd have is more people voting against that particular person than for, but them still getting in because they've got the highest amount of votes than their other it's not kind of like a majoritarian style system within the singular mp now they tried to put well i said they the conservatives and the coalition government tried to do this in 2010 they promised it in their manifesto they got in so they went ahead and did a referendum on it and in, a, in my opinion it was a poorly you know run referendum it was mainly just the no side that was, STV, that was not proportional representation this is the first time in british political history that a major political party has requested proportional representation i i thought av was proportional uh, no it's not proportional it's alternative voting so what was so, the look like then we don't know exactly it would it would rejig constituency boundaries it would completely reshape the way parliament is run and it would completely reshape the way the house of lords is run i, I suspect it links in with the house of lords policy as well a, which I know that, was loading to i know that av can create a more proportional system but i didn't realize that it was a more kind of holistic pledge i like not necessarily yeah. because in AV, your vote you vote for two people, and your your second vote can transfer. So it, it it doesn't necessarily work in that way. It doesn't necessarily work in a PR sort of way. But again, we're digressing about electoral system, which yeah yeah yeah, political theorists and yeah. and British politicians can do forever. Labour has also voted to the Labour conference has also voted to re-nationalise the railways in conference, not in the NSE yet. We will see what that means, but. That's just sort of a headline policy. We'll move past that because we're running out of time. Mm. But what I expect from the Labour Party conference is we can expect to see a lot more policies come to light. Economic policy, taxation policy, social care policy, and fundamentally a much more united party, at least at the face of it, which is so far I'm happy with. Yeah, and even um, I think the Starmer speech, which is going to come up later in the week. I think the Guardian reported that uh, the Guardian reported that actually in I, th I can't I don't know particularly what it was, but uh, today the, the something happened in the party that was particularly kind of quite sort of just just a little bit left of centre, uh, mm. and it, and it, and it received no heckles from the very very left, which I suppose it show, it, it shows you credit to what um to what Starmer has uh, done. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the policy because that has been my one thing that has kind of kept me from really kind of hammering home that I, you know, my support is for Labour to win this the next election is I just don't know what the policy is. And uh, yeah. What policy would you look for? Um, I think like the economic policy and some of the sort of economic plan that they've, that Rachel Reeves has released today is, uh, is very good. And it keeps in mind a very long-term strategy. Uh, one of the big things is that it, uh, instead of kind of net zero 2050 and all those sort of like very long term when most of MPs will be dead anyway, they actually said that they wanted to be a completely electricity, a completely non-fossil fuel reliant. I um, saw that. I saw that. Right, by 2030, which is ambitious mm. for, for a, a definitive by 2035, which is potentially within some of, some of the MPs within Labour's lifetime, which is phenomenal. And I think that's... Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, a really good thing and obviously it's not the most you know it, it's quite a safe policy to outline because i think most people would be definitely for that but yeah that's something that i i definitely wanted to see and i've seen that already um with regards yeah. to the railways and the I, i'm not sure what my view is on renationalizing uh the railways i mean from an ideological perspective you can talk about the whole kind of like the profiteering and the fact it's a public public based service and stuff like that a lot of people i know who live through the nationalization of the railway said it was you know really really shitty and this you know the standards of public service were really really bad i think it's you, you can't base on the on the past because technology and lots of different things have changed um 
we'll have to see we'll have to see i have no opinion on it at the moment but one thing i do have an opinion on is that prices are too high so i'll leave Fair that the holder. Fair <laughs> enough no on the energy plan i i, I saw the laura Koonsberg interview which we are going to oh, briefly yeah. come on to yeah. Let's talk um, about and, and, and Starmer really, really wanted to hammer home that he had this idea of exactly how he wanted to do 2030. And again, this is something good because Starmer's been criticised for saying, you want to do these things, but how are you going to do them? Mm. And finally, he produced a plan. Again, something really, really good out, out of the conference. In terms of what, I, what policies I want to see, I wanted to see PR go through. It's gone through. I wanted to see renationalisation re of the railways go through. It has gone through. We will see if those two policies are reflected by the NEC. Um, I wanted to see a clear long-term economic uh, strategy that happens and how that addresses uh, the state of social care. Again, I've seen that. Uh, I also wanted to see a strategy that they will take with the State of the Union. I haven't seen that yet, but hopefully... Over the next week, I will. Um, Laura Koonsberg interview. Yeah, can I, now, can James, I, yeah. Briefly, give us a rant. Yeah, this is my rant. I, tweet, I tweeted about it, so people can go and uh, and read that. Uh, but obviously, I can wrap everything up in 90, uh, what is it, however many characters they give you. Um, basically, Keir Starmer was trying to effectively say that he wanted a six-month uh, wholesale energy fuel instead of, uh, the three years that the Conservative Party promised, and he was basically saying it's because he wants to assess the situation in April and he wants to kind of move on from this cost of living crisis, which is a fair enough analogy. And in my mind, I think the Conservative uh, three-year promise is bad because, you know, it effectively keeps us in this. Two-year promise, I think. Or two years. It's a content to be in this situation for longer than we need to be in my mind next christmas not this christmas upcoming but the christmas after we should not be in this scenario we shouldn't be in this scenario anytime but just specifically during winter because obviously prices are, are been higher at that point just because of consumption is more but laura coonsberg she just doesn't get it she kept saying oh you know oh you're not offering as much um assurance than the tory party and it's just like like in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, no, assurance would be how you're going to get us out the cost of living crisis. Not bloody keeping mm. us in it and saying, oh, don't worry, there's going to be a, a freeze. Not on what we pay, but what on the energy companies pay and what the uh, suppliers pay for wholesale. So mm. that's the big thing. And uh, do you know what? She just, I mean, she might as well be a bloody spin doctor for the Conservative Party at this point. It's ridiculous. And we're all talking about... Uh, the BBC and stuff like that. And she epitomises that. And I'm glad she's not the chief editor of for politics uh, on the BBC, but she's got her own show. And I, I thought maybe that might kind of send her a signal that she needs to be a bit better with her interviewing, but she's not. Yeah, um, I mirror that. I mirror that basically word for word what you said. Uh, I also think she kept on interrupting and trying to keep get her point across as if somehow voters were voting for her, not Keir Starmer and the Labour. Yes, yeah, she does that all the time. She likes to vouch for the people and it's like, no, no, let the people... No, no, Laura, people are not voting for you. <laughs> and people can make up their own minds. You don't need to tell them what they think it was the same with the with jeremy corbyn like and i can't believe i'm actually i'm almost sounding as if i'm like vouching on behalf of corbyn here but she kept saying things like when the election was happening that like corbyn you know people are going to be worried about corbyn's kind of uh economic plan it's like no, are you going to let other people actually say what they feel not just what you think other people feel or what you're going to tell other people to feel it's uh, you, are, you are coming across very labor James, in this whole episode, you've come across very, very Labour. So I know and what you're you going to ask. for Jeremy yeah. Corbyn. No, I haven't vouched for uh, Jeremy Corbyn. No, I Yes, haven't. you have. No, yes, no, you I have. Just, just, no, I have just, not. That just is... admit it. No. Just admit it. Just no, let it happen. No, no, no. Why aren't you in the Labour Party? <laughs> uh, this, I need this. Uh, for context, <laughs> I, am, I am a very active member of the Labour Party. I am the BAME officer for my local CLP. I want to be more active in the Labour Party if time allows it. Why aren't you a member of the Labour Party? So I'm not part of the Labour Party because I actually believe, and it's a it's a quote from from Jeremy Paxman, who basically said oh, that, <laughs> who basically who did by the way switch over from 
uh, I think it, he switched over from Conservative to Labour at one point. Just a little fun fact there. He said that there is, and when he was questioned on that, he basically said that there's no monopoly of thought in one way of thinking. And I actively believe in that. I don't think you can subscribe the entirety of the world's problems through one way of thinking. And I myself, if I was to join the party this year, I don't want to be in a position where I'm part of a party and finding myself constantly disagreeing them. And I don't want to be in a position where I'm like leaving and joining, leaving and joining when it suits me. If I'm, you know, if I want to support something, I want to support something because I can see the benefit for, I don't know, both myself and for the party. And I can really get behind the the sort of the system of thought. And no, no one is asking you to completely subscribe to the Labour manifesto, every single policy, but you in the last set in this so far in this episode you have been supportive of labor's policies and you have agreed with a lot of what they said I, and the whole point of a political party is that you have a discussion and a debate to understand policy now i don't necessarily me being a labor member i don't necessarily agree with the way that they come up with their policy i don't like the system of conference votes it through then the nec votes it through then it turns up in the manifesto i don't like that but even in the conservative party you'd be doing that even in the lib dems you'd be doing that yeah. saying you never need to join a political party no or... that, that's what i'm saying i'm saying to me i actually don't see personally the benefit at least in my own sense and this is all totally individual i don't see benefit for myself for joining one particular party ever really and so and, and if that makes me someone who sits with the fence you know firmly wedged up my backside you know sure i'll, I'll take though i'll take that criticism uh, on the chin but equally you know you said about how everything i've been kind of been saying has been fairly labor i also said earlier that if we were in a better uh, circumstance, I'd be, you know, vouching for a potential low tax economy. Now, I'm sure there are members of the Labour Party who'd be very, very, you know, sort of dissatisfied with that sort of comment. So, but, 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 but Keir Starmer has just come out, and we could debate this for ages, but <laughs> Keir Starmer has just come out and said that he will not get rid of the tax cut that has influenced the people lower down the economic ladder. So, yeah. maybe I'm thinking a bit more on an ideological and a more sort of ideological. Uh, okay. I think it's that balance. So, basically, to conclude <laughs> the episode, James wants anarchism. Uh, yes. and i yes. just want a brighter future for everyone you know oh isn't that so nice oh everyone <laughs> everyone get karting a present because he wants the benefit for everyone no i'm being very <laughs> no uh this has been good and i think we'll have a further discussion of my uh ideological warfare that's happening in my brain and uh and as as we find out more of the the labor party's intentions we can analyze that uh further but well i think all that's left to say is karting it's been a very good episode i like the structure of what we've done and uh and yeah i think we're going to come to an end here so thank you very much uh for listening today we hope we haven't bored you too much um join us next week where i'm not sure what we're going to talk about but i just kind of wanted to get people to join us next week uh yeah. you said yeah thank you for listening thank you for listening my name's been james i've been i've gone back to it again my name is james table and my name is kartik sawney and we'll see you next week for another episode of politics on draft bye-bye